Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Some personalities can be overwhelming, especially if you don't understand them and what motivates the people with them. Understanding personality has been an area of study since before recorded history. In this episode, we're going to start our journey with one of the oldest personality tests, the Enneagram. We'll look at its history and give an overview of the system before we dive deeper into it throughout this year. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, we had two negative COVID tests, which I can't remember if that was before last Tuesday or not. But my wife and I both were feeling like we had mono, just like really exhausted. You know, I couldn't quite feel like I could get enough air, especially like if I was carrying groceries in. I mean, I got winded. So basically from three o'clock Wednesday until this morning, I did not, or not this morning, yesterday morning, uh, I didn't touch any code at all. And that's probably wow. like the longest streak of not writing any code that I've had in a long time, years. But I did, you know, watch some stuff on View just because I wanted to see like how it's come along. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting just with the stuff that I've learned, you know, doing React with Gatsby and then doing, you know, newer Angular stuff at work. It was interesting just to see, you know, kind of those two worlds almost mix a little bit in Vue. You know, they got stuff that's that looks like it fits in one place or the other, and then they got their own stuff. So that's been interesting. Other than that, uh, obviously, this being uh, the week after Christmas, uh, last week was you know pretty relaxed, um, and it was it was good not to really do much. So, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So how about you? So uh, I was pretty much on the go all of last week, getting stuff ready. We uh, we made ornaments for a lot of our our leads and. Uh, close friends at church. And so lots of crafting, lots of trips to Hobby Lobby and Michael's and stuff like that. Oh yeah. It was a, uh, it was an adventure last week. Amanda is out of town visiting family this week. And uh, because of new year's, they, uh, the church, they just don't have a Wednesday night service the week of Christmas and new year's. So people can be with their families. So I'm getting together with some of the uh, worship and tech team members tomorrow night to play video games. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. It's sort of funny Sunday as we're walking out the one of the the worship team members. She's the one who's put this together. She's like insanely talented, uh, knows more about audio stuff than probably even Jason and can play like drums, guitar, bass, sings, you know, one of those kind of people. Anyway, apparently she's also into video games and was like, hey, I'm going to invite the the tech team to come over um, along with some of the worship team to play video games. I was like, that sounds like fun. Amanda walks up. She's like, what's going on? I want to go. And I'm like, you're going to be out of town. She's like, I still want to know what's going on. I said, we're we're getting together to play video games. She's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that because <laughs> she's not into them. So it was funny. <laughs> Let's see. I think you already mentioned this is the we're recording this the week between Christmas and New Year's. So a lot of people at work take off this week because yeah, you, know, you take off three days and you know you get a whole lot more. 
uh, all together. Uh, I am working, uh, but it's so nice not having any meetings. Uh, it's fun, but Amanda's parents got me this really cool mug that says, nice. I survived another meeting that should have been an email. And I, I've been drinking my coffee out of that. I love it. Unfortunately, I have no one to tell about it at work. So next week, when you guys listen to the episode, I'm going to talk about how the IRS hit me with some back taxes the week of Christmas. Yeah. Uh, time travel. We recorded la- uh, next week's episode before this one. But uh, so I had planned to pay for my mission trip next summer out of pocket, but instead we'll be paying the IRS. Uh, as such, in the aftercast, or talking after it, I really can't remember, I was asked for the link to donate to the trip. And so that gave me an idea. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to post that in the show notes for this episode and next week's episode. For anyone who wants to donate, don't feel obligated or anything like that, guys. And so I'm just going to do that. Uh any extra funds that I get will go towards Amanda's mission trip or anyone else on our team. But, uh, you know, if, if you feel so inclined, uh, the link will be there in this episode and in next week's. And last night I did something kind of fun since, you know, Amanda was out of town. I wasn't getting together with her. I probably should have spent the time cleaning when I wasn't working on the episode, but, uh, I just wanted to, have a little me time and watch a movie that I knew I wouldn't be able to watch with Amanda because she doesn't like these kind of movies. I watched Wonder Woman 1984 last night. I've seen varying uh, critiques of it. Uh, I haven't seen I haven't seen the first one. Um, I, oh, yeah. You should definitely watch the first one because, yeah, definitely watch the first one. I mean, Gal Gadot is a phenomenal actress and the plot is what you'd expect from a superhero movie. Like if you go into it expecting a superhero movie and just like, hey, it it's not going to be complex. It's not going to be this deep thing. It's going to be, you know, light and adventurous and fun. That's exactly what you get. You know, if you like them, I suggest it. No spoilers, but the shout out to Linda Carter was really cool. So, so guys, this is the last episode we're recording in 2020. Because, you know, New Year's Eve is uh, Friday. Uh, good grief, I can't talk. It's, it's later Thursday. this week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> later this week. I'm like, I'm like, New Year's Day is Friday, and I meant to go Thursday, and I started to say Saturday. Anyway. If you just say later this week, the episode's evergreen, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? Anyway, so the new tiers that are coming out in 2021 will be out when this episode arrives. But for us... They come out next week. And so we're kind of looking forward to seeing how those are taken and uh, who decides to to move into those new tiers. But uh, time travel, fun, huh? The term personality is derived from the Greek word persona, which means mask. Our personalities are the personas or masks we have built over time to protect our true nature. They're made up of the reactions and responses we found to be effective in things like pleasing our parents as children, fitting in as teenagers, meeting cultural expectations, that kind of thing. These responses help us to navigate through a variety of situations and kind of offer us a little bit of automation, if you will. 
Uh, over time, these adaptive strategies grow in complexity to the point that it can be hard to differentiate the personality from the true nature. So an Enneagram with a little e, now we're not going to go through a whole lot of back and forth on on that in this episode, but I do want to point it out. The, the Enneagram with the lowercase e is a nine-pointed geometric figure. Uh, it consists of a circle with a triangle inscribed and an irregular hexagonal figure within the circle. The big E or uppercase E Enneagram uses the figure to describe the relationship between various personality types that are numbered one through nine to associate with a point on the hexagonal figure or the triangle in the circle. Uh, if it's possible, we will have an image of that in the show notes. If not, just Google Enneagram and you'll see what we're talking about. Much of the material for this and the subsequent episodes comes from the book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. In this episode, we're going to start off looking at the history of the Enneagram and some of its defining characteristics. Then we'll go through a brief overview of each of the nine types of Enneagram. Yeah, and after that, we're going to give you guys sort of a description of what to look forward to throughout this year. So each month, we're going to talk about a different Enneagram type starting in February with the two. And a little later in the episode, I'll explain why we're starting there. And instead of with one, why we're doing this episode first and starting with the two, not because it's February, the second month. It's nice that it lines up that way, but you'll, you'll understand why we're doing that in a little bit. But at the end of this episode, like the last thing we're going to talk about is the structure of those episodes so that you guys know what you're going to hear, what you, what you can look forward to throughout this year. And what you're going to get out of it as yeah. far as things you learn. So I guess probably the first thing to talk about a little bit is the background of the whole Enneagram thing. So let's get into a little bit of history here. The Enneagram is extremely old. Uh, no one is exactly sure where the idea came from. It's been traced to the Christian monk and mystic, uh, and I'm going to butcher the name, Evag- Evagrius Ponticus. I, I guess that's right. I have not ever heard it. I've only seen it. Yeah, and, same here. Yeah, um, It's the same guy that came up with the idea of the seven deadly sins. Now, you do have to bear in mind, you know, religion, mysticism, philosophy, psychology, all those things were much more entwined in the ancient world than they are now. Yeah. So, and um, just a little rabbit trail I went down on this. He actually came up with eight deadly sins and one overarching deadly sin. Uh, like it was like self love was like the overarching deadly sin. And then the, there are eight sins under it that were eventually distilled down into the, what is now known as the seven deadly sins. Yeah, because we talked about that in the in the episode that we we discussed that. I, I, I do vaguely remember that now. Yeah, you you did the seven seven de- deadly sins plus two of something, and we talked about how there were more originally. Yeah, that's and seven so, plus or minus two, right? Like it's the number yeah. that you can remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. There but yeah, might be something to that. But <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, it's interesting because that's like. That's where that idea came from. So you, it, it can be traced back that far. And even 
like I didn't get into this in the outline, so I'm going off off topic a little bit here, but uh, it goes even further back than that. This is like the first really recorded aspect of like use of the Enneagram, the little E Enneagram, the nine pointed figure there. And so it's, it's interesting because there's stories about its use and even further back. That said, the, the nine pointed geometric figure that we're talking about here shows up all over the world, not just in Christian mysticism and, and that sort of thing. And then in the early 20th century, a Russian philosopher uh, named, why didn't I let you get this one? George Gurdjieff? Yes, thank you. George used the Enneagram to teach on esoteric subjects not related to personality. Right. So it was more of the same mysticism coming back out, which was pretty common um, in the early 20th century in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, look at Rasputin, for instance. In the 1970s, a teacher from Chile, uh, Oscar Ichazo, learned of it, and he made significant contributions by combining what he'd learned about the Enneagram with studies of inner work he learned in South America and Asia. One of his students was Claudio Naranjo, an American-trained psychiatrist. Now, Naranjo brought these teachings to the U.S. and taught them to a group of Catholic priests and seminary students. So that's how it got here. Yeah, and so his teaching of them, we're going to get into a little bit more of this a couple points from here, but that's where it really took on the form that we have now, was he took Ishazo's teaching and sort of distilled that down to apply to what the Catholic priests and the seminary students needed and could use to minister to their people and to counsel. Before we get into that aspect of it. Yeah. uh, Now, this probably also brings to mind that there are some criticisms that are going to come out of this, right? There are two main criticisms of the Enneagram. Yeah. One is from the scientific community and the other is from the religious community, uh, which which is always interesting when they agree. (laughs) Yeah. From the scientific community, it has been accused of being pseudoscience because the the main claim is that the types are too subjective and the information is too difficult to validate it's it's not possible to say yes like you have this type and we can prove that you are this type via these other objective studies yeah i i always wonder when somebody says stuff like that because i think a lot of the point of this kind of stuff is more of an inward journey and figuring yourself out yeah and trying to bust maladaptive strategies like it doesn't necessarily always have to be perfectly scientific if you can get something out of it. Yeah, that's that's very true. Now, an interesting thing is to combat some of the the pseudoscience accusations, the book The Enneagram: A Journey of Self-Discovery, not the one that we're using, is an is a different one written in I think 1984. Kind of funny as I watched Wonder Woman 1984. But I digress. It compared the types to the works of Karen Horney, a psychoanalyst who um, was actually quite critical of a lot of Freud's more out there theories. He had a few. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, like um and she she brought some more scientific grounding to the psychoanalytical world. Yeah, it that's something that's always interested me about the history of psychology and that kind of stuff is it borders on a lot of you know odd thought processes a lot of times, right? Like you got Jung, you've got Freud and it's it's like they get those these those way out there ideas and they pull them back in. Yeah. And you know, that's how psychology works. You know, and functions and moves forward. So because of the early connections with mysticism, there has also been some religious scrutiny uh, over the use of the Enneagram for personal growth from several larger organizations, including the Roman Catholic Church. Which is interesting because it gained its popularity because of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, it's, it's not exactly a controversial topic, but it does have some controversy around it, some scrutiny. And it's like, like you said, man, it's not so much about the, the scientific side of it. It's not like you're trying to diagnose someone with the Enneagram. Right. It's a way of helping you understand yourself and understand other people. I've done two groups, small groups at church based around the Enneagram learning stuff. And it's been so interesting because one of the ladies, she was hosting the group. She wasn't leading it. She was just hosting it, but she was talking about her interactions with her daughter. And as she started to learn about the different types, she was like, it makes so much sense the way she responds to me. And like their relationship has gotten better because she's been able to understand how her daughter is going to react to different things based on her type. Yeah, well, I mean, it gives you a common language, right? It's it's sort yeah. of like what we deal with every day. Objects are not real, but it's a language. You know, design patterns are not real, but it's a common language that we use so that we can communicate a concept. And if you take it like that and you use it that way, it's a very useful tool. Yeah. So talking about patterns, that's really good. The next thing we're going to do is talk about different types of Enneagrams. Yeah, so originally, uh, Ichazo created over 100 different Enneagrams to relate to each number. However, when the idea came to the U.S., it was reduced to four um, because 100 is a wee bit too much. So, yeah, so it was it was basically, I just want to like give a little detail here. It wasn't like 100 for each number on the Enneagram. It was 100 diagrams, like geometric figures, where each number represented something different. Um, so here in when it came to the U.S., like like I said, Narajo or Naranjo. I've only read these. I've not heard these names pronounced. When he brought it to the U.S., he kind of made it more concise to focus on what would help the priests most. And so he narrowed it down to these four types or these four enneagrams. So. There are the virtues, the passions, or deadly sins, uh, holy ideas, and ego fixations. The virtues represent the natural state of the person within that number in their healthiest state of being. You know, they don't have to be forced. This is how the person exists when they're healthy. So, for example, I'm a two, and my virtue is humility. So 
in my healthy state, I am supposed supposedly naturally humble. I was just waiting for you to say more than anybody I know. <laughs> it's all right. Will your your virtue is serenity. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so there we are. The passions are the emotional responses to not being in the healthy state. They're how we express the sense of loss of peace when not in the natural state represented by the virtues. They're the basis for the seven deadly sins. Yeah, so for example, if my virtue is humility, my passion is pride. Right. That's the axis you're on. Of Yeah. And if your virtue is serenity, your passion is... Probably rage. Or anger. Yeah. Anger. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to fit reasonably well. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, on that are- note, the ego fixations are the path from the healthy virtue to the unhealthy passion. And what what this kind of set of terms, I guess, um, based on each number, this Enneagram, little e Enneagram, gives us is they are a warning for each number to watch out or to avoid falling into the unhealthy passion. So going back to, I guess, talking about myself, my ego fixation is flattery. You know, that's how I can go from humility to pride. Right. Whereas Will's ego fixation is resentment. Right. The holy ideas show the way from the passions to the virtues. So it's, you know, travel in the opposite direction. Uh, They're given as something to focus on to move from the unhealthy passion back to the healthy virtue. Yeah. So for me to go from pride back to humility it's a focus on freedom and will. Not him will, but you know, right. free will will. Yeah. Here's one, here's an interesting thing for you. For Will, and we'll get into more detail on this in just a bit, but his holy idea is perfection. Huh. <laughs> so the current typing system, the biggie Enneagram, combines the all four of these for each of the numbers. And kind of creates the archetype. So uh, the archetype, my archetype is the helper. Will's archetype is the perfectionist. And that kind of combines all four of those. Plus some more information. So now let's talk about the triads. And this is not the organized crime group. Uh, This is basically the Enneagram numbers are divided into three triads based on a ruling emotion for that number. Uh, Each number relates to that ruling emotion differently. Uh, This doesn't mean it's the only emotion that's felt by that number, just that it's the primary driving force. And this is why we're starting with a two. Because the, the book I read started with eight, which is the, the start of the gut triad. And we'll talk about that first. So the gut triad is Enneagram types, eight, nine, and one, and is motivated by anger. Whereas, so the one will internalize their anger, focusing it on themselves and being frustrated with themselves, whereas an eight will externalize it, focusing their anger on others. Even when they're frustrated at themselves, 
their anger focuses outwardly. And the nine is motivated by avoidance of anger altogether. Honesty and directness define the gut triad. The heart triad, which is the twos, threes, and fours, is motivated by feelings. So twos outwardly express feelings and focus on those of others, finding it difficult to understand or express their own. Whereas the fours will focus internally on their own feelings, but have difficulty understanding others' feelings. Threes have trouble recognizing that feelings exist in themselves or others. They're more image conscious than the other triads. So it's, it's interesting the way this is laid out because you're telling the two extremes first and then the one in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I laid out each one of these. Um, it's not how they line up numerically on all of them, but it's just, it made sense to me to go, you know, external, internal avoidance and the heart triad. They are more image conscious and it's, it's interesting to see how that image consciousness plays out because the twos, they're more focused on what others think of them, like on being loved. Whereas the fours are more on being unique and different. And the threes are more on being seen as successful. Yeah. So the final of the three triads is the heart triad. This is the five, six, sevens. And they are motivated by fear. The five will externalize that fear. Whereas sixes will internalize it and be motivated more by their own fears than fears of others. Sevens, they just have trouble remembering to be afraid of things. You know, and people t- like that. <laughs> yeah. Tends to be the most adventurous of the numbers. You know, what's really interesting is the person who really got me into the Enneagram and the, the Enneagram expert is what I call her. She led the small group at church on it. She's a seven. So, so she got you into a group. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. there it is. Yep. This triad tends to think a lot before they act. And tend to live in their head more. Speaking of thinking before you act and living in your head. Advertisement. Saving money is hard. You know, especially we're coming out of the holidays right now. When you guys listen to this episode, it'll be a few weeks after the holidays. You may even have made New Year's resolutions about saving money. And you probably have that credit card bill by now, too. So... Yeah, Uh, You probably realize how important this is. So you want to talk to Lucas Casares. Lucas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, and he focuses on helping you not only establish a plan, but he's there with you to take action so that you can meet your goals and live your best life. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, get kind of wound up and think that they're too young or they don't have enough investments or that it's too expensive to use a financial planner. But Lucas has got a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. And he can actually work with you on this. Yeah, it can be expensive working with a financial planner. And next week, we're actually going to have Lucas on with us to talk a little bit about what he does as a financial planner and to uh, to answer some of our questions about finances. 
So uh, look forward to that. And in the meantime, you can find some fun and free resources and learn more about Lucas at levelupfinancialplanning.com. So guys, now we're going to go over the nine different types. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one as we've got an entire episode for each one coming out uh, next, you know, throughout this year. So the number one is the perfectionist, um, and they tend to be ethical, dedicated, and reliable. And the virtue here is serenity, whereas the passion is anger. Yeah. And so their ego fixation, the way that they go from their serenity to anger is through resentment. This is most likely resenting others for not meeting their own expectations. Right. And the holy idea here is perfection. You know, focus on being your best self, not on what others are doing, which is interesting to me because that is something that has really given me a lot of peace, you know, over the last few years is, is just that. Well, you're a one. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it really, it does match. <laughs> so we kind of hit on the ones earlier. So when we were talking and, and the twos, but we're going to go through it. The two is the helper. We are warm caring and giving our virtue is humility and our passion is pride yeah and the ego fixation here is flattery in other words letting words of affirmation go too far and become ego driven you know i guess where you're seeking them out or using flattery to manipulate others yeah so unhealthy twos uh they have kind of it's two sides of the same coin they become very prideful in themselves and what they do for others. And they can also feel like they are not being appreciated. So they start to manipulate yeah. people and situations. So that's, that's sort of where that, that ego fixation, they, they do that manipulation because they are so prideful of themselves. They want to control everything. Know, and Yeah. The holy idea is freedom or will. Uh, freedom and free will are important, uh, not only to not being like that feeling of being used that the twos get, but also to not manipulating others, like remembering that others have freedom and freedom of choice. Right. And that's, uh, that actually explains, you know, some of the books that we've talked about in the past as well. Like, why certain parts of them spoke to you and didn't speak to me is this right here. So number three is the performer and they're success oriented, image conscious and wired for productivity. Yeah. You want to have a performer on your team. They, they're the go-getters. They're, you know, the, the in early staying late people. And their virtue is truthfulness and authenticity. Uh, but their passion is deceit. Yeah. So the ego fixation that leads them from that authenticity to deceit is vanity. It's becoming too self-absorbed so that they don't allow themselves or others to see their own faults. And the holy idea here is hope and harmony. Hope is a trust that you don't have to be perfect to be worthy. And Everybody in this audience has probably had a programmer on their team that's a number three, if you think about it, especially the shadow side of it, because that's what you'll notice. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, no, you um I I can absolutely see software development attracting a more introverted three. Yeah. A lot of threes are extroverts, to be honest with you. I know three threes. That's funny. I know three threes. <laughs> um let's see. Two of them are teachers and one of them is probably one of the friendliest people you'll ever meet. Uh doesn't like people say I don't meet a stranger. Like this guy is more extroverted and outgoing than I am. Yikes. Yeah. And it's just like super nice, super friendly guy. Very, very healthy three, you know, and I've seen some unhealthy threes in in my life. Um, It's really interesting being on a team with an unhealthy three, either at work or, like in college doing like even a fun activity, they get super competitive. Well, it's like your 10 X developer, right? Um, yeah. Like that's very much a, you know, somebody that will strive to be a 10 X developer has a pretty good chance of being a three and somebody who will tell you they're a 10 X developer. They definitely are <laughs> on the bad side of, of being a three. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the next, the type four is the romantic. These are creative, sensitive, and moody. Uh, This is the rarest type. I know one four that I can think of. I know a few wing fours, but I only know one actual four. And he's the type, uh, this is a four thing. He's the type who would be proud of the fact that he is the rarest type. I think Will knows who I'm talking about. I can think of one or two people that could actually be, but um, (laughs) the virtue here is equanimity or emotional balance. The passion here is envy. And so the ego fixation or way they go from virtue to passion is a melancholy. This is is interesting because I hadn't really done a lot of uh, look into the word melancholy until I started studying the Enneagram. And melancholy is known as finding the joy in sadness. So like enjoying being kind of feeling down, feeling sad. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe comes to mind. Yeah. Like people who write poetry like that. However, like that's okay. It's like uh, going back to the two quickly. Words of affirmation are good and useful. That's my personal love language. But overdoing it too much can lead to flattery that leads to pride. Melancholy, finding the joy in sadness can be good. It can lead to some beautiful poetry, some amazing artwork, some awesome creativity. But it's a dangerous road that can lead to envy when that joy in the sadness dissipates and all that's left is sadness. So the holy idea here is origin. Um, You know, it's like, creativity and originality not focusing on what others have or creating in other words yeah and so like you don't want to focus on you know oh they're they're making this or they're doing that you know uh quick example i'm not a four i go there when i'm healthy but i'm i'm not a four but i am on the creative team and the last few months, I've been really focused on our live stream, our cameras, stuff like that for the tech team. And I haven't been able to be involved with the creative team. 
but they've kept going. They've kept making stuff. And, you know, I look at it and go, oh, man, I wish I could have been part of that. That looks like so much fun. I, I really miss like getting to go to those meetings and plan things out and do all these creative things. It's not that I'm not getting to do anything or I'm not doing anything important. I'm like, like really active, but I, you know, however, an unhealthy four would look at that and get jealous that they're not a part of it. Even if it's not something that, you know, is the, in their talent or even that they're interested in doing, they'll be like, well, they didn't ask me to help out. Whereas a healthy four would look at it and go, Hey, way to go. That's really creative. That is so cool. You know, and so having that originality, that creativity and like focusing instead of on what other people are doing, but on your own originality is what leads back to that emotional balance. Number five is the investigator. They're analytical, detached and private. Uh, Their virtue is non-attachment. Their passion is avarice or greed. So this almost sounds like the accountant archetype. Yeah, I can see that. You know, like the mousy accountant guy that just kind of does his thing off in the corner and on a good day, he's saving the company money and on a bad day, he's embezzling. What's really funny is for the longest time, the five that I knew is one of the most creative artistic people I know because she's a five wing four. I'm yeah. like, it's not because of that, but yeah, she is. She has that four wing and we'll talk about wings in just a little bit. But however, she is very non-attached, very good at stepping aside from things. And the thing that a five needs to watch out for, their ego fixation is stinginess. It's holding on too tightly to what they have. And that leads to desires for what others have or greed. And the holy idea here is transparency. I mean, that's being open and honest. Yeah, it's making it so that, hey, you know, being honest about what they have. The particular friend I, I was talking about, she said, like, one thing that helps her is just to put an active focus on giving. And, like, that helps her to not be as greedy, to not fall into that stinginess by giving of herself, giving her time, giving what she has, that sort of thing. Number six is the loyalist. Uh, They're committed, practical, and witty. Uh, Their virtue is courage, but their passion is fear. Yeah, and this is interesting because they can be very motivated by fear if they're not careful. And the reason their virtue is courage is because courage is the ability to act when afraid. What leads them to debilitating fear or that inability to show that courage, their ego fixation is worry. You know, worrying about a situation or a person leads down a path that ends in fear. Like, what is it that uh, Star Wars, like, anger leads to hate? You know, hate hate yeah. leads. Yeah. So, but it's like worry leads to fear. Yeah. And they're, Holy idea is faith. You know, that's basically you have to have the path back to courage and that requires faith in people and situations. And I think my mom is probably a six. A lot of, a lot of mothers are six and one tends to be the, the type for a lot of mothers. Because she Um, worries a lot. 
Yeah. Number seven, the enthusiasts. These are fun, spontaneous, and adventurous. Their virtue? Sobriety. Their passion? Gluttony. Yeah, so you think, well, we talked about Marvel comic movies. The way Thor was in the first Thor movie at the beginning, Mm -hmm. that's that archetype. You know, the party guy that just kind of you know, does whatever he wants and goes over the top. Their ego fixation is anticipation. So, you know, like it's normal to have some excitement about upcoming events, but too much can lead to overindulgence. Yeah. And remember, this is in the the head triad. So like forethought is important with this one. With the with this triad, the five, six, seven, thinking about things, they live in their heads a lot, or not at all. Sometimes for the the more unhealthy sevens, their holy idea is wisdom. It takes wisdom, sometimes hard earned through experience, to move from overindulgence to sobriety. It takes wisdom to say, "Hey, I can't do this just a little bit." If I do just a little bit, I I don't have control and I will do too much. And to say, you know what? I'm just going to avoid that situation. I'm going to avoid that in my life because I know where it's going to lead. It it takes wisdom and a lot of strength to do that. Number eight is the challenger. They are commanding, intense, and confrontational. Their virtue is innocence, but their passion is lust. This actually sounds like somebody I used to work for. Yeah. Me too. Their ego fixation is vengeance. Taking revenge can lead to objectification, which is the first step toward being ruled by lust. And their holy idea is truth. That, In other words, the path back to innocence requires accepting the truth of a situation, even if it means accepting you got hurt or you did something wrong mm-hmm. or you were treated badly. Yeah. I mean, it, it's accepting that and moving on from it. You know, and without taking that vengeance, without trying to get revenge on the the person or organization or whatever. So the final one is the peacemaker. These are pleasant, laid back, and accommodating. Their virtue is action, and their passion is sloth. Their ego fixation will be indolence. Uh, you know, disengagement starts with laziness and daydreaming that lead to wasting time and eventually become sloth. You know, to some degree, I would also say that sloth is probably a little bit of a lack of courage in a lot of cases because of the you know, risk of doing something. But um, I can think of three or four people that fit this archetype as uh, well. It's it's not so much lack of courage with with the peacemaker. It's more. Yeah, not courage, but like get up and go or like. Yeah. So like uh, Amanda is a nine and we did some crafting for some Christmas presents that we gave. And we ended up doing a lot of it at the last minute because her nine, we would get started on it. Her nine would just be like, oh, I just, can we just like cuddle on the couch and watch a movie? And my two craving for love was like, you want to cuddle? Yes. <laughs> 
And That's... so we we ended up doing a lot of it at the last minute because of that sort of, you know, that that laziness that comes with, you know, the the nine. Their holy idea is love. Love for themselves, love for other people, or being passionate about some activity. Like that's how they're going to get things done. They're going to take action is by being passionate about it. Uh, this will drive out the sloth and lead to action. So I guess we need to talk really quick about our uh, upcoming episodes and kind of how those are going to be structured so that you understand why this is useful and what you're going to get out of it. The first thing so, is we'll talk about the main characteristics. So each episode is going to start off with a description of the main characteristics of that Enneagram type. This will cover the basics of that type, including some statements to help you identify them in your life. Yeah, it's really interesting. The book that I have, The Road Back to You, each chapter that is about uh, an Enneagram type starts with a page of just statements about that type. And it's it's fun to go in and just and read through them because uh, when I took it, I was a two and so I read through the two. And I'm like, yep, 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 yep. I checked off almost every single one of them. I had a wing three. I went through the three and I'm like, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, a little bit. And I checked off several of those. And so, but then I looked at some of the other types as we were going through them. I'm like, that is not me at all. I'm like reading through this just sort of like, whereas other people are going through, yep, 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 yep. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> We'll also discuss the primary desires and motivating factors for each of the personality types. We did that in our resolutions episode uh, where we talked about our types. We'll, we'll talk about that in more detail for each one. We'll talk about the basic fears and how to avoid and manage it. We'll also talk about the basic desires for each type and how they can be met. Yeah, and that's essentially the uh, the currency that you trade with at that trading post, right? Yeah. Is, is the best way to think about that. Uh, then we'll give a description of a healthy, average, and unhealthy person of that particular type. Finally, under main characteristics, we'll discuss the types associated deadly sin, how it can affect the person, and the temptation that gets them there. Yeah, so basically the passion and ego fixation, along with how to get back to being in that virtue. So the the next thing, uh, and we broke this down, uh, each episode is going to be broken down into kind of three sections. That first one being main characteristics. The next one is, uh, I titled it Wings and Things. <laughs> or Wings and Arrows, but Wings and Things rhymed, so I kind of liked it. Pretty the sure it's Indian copyrighted. <laughs> probably, probably. It sounds like We're, a great uh, buffalo chicken wing joint but <laughs> it probably is yeah the enneagram personality types are not distinct sets of personality they are interrelated with aspects of various types interacting to create a full personality each number on the enneagram has two wings the numbers immediately surrounding it you know above and below right most people will fall somewhere between their type and one of its wings um so They'll have a few of the characteristics of that wing that interacts with their primary number or type. So, for instance, Beige is two wing three. Yeah. So I am primarily a helper, you know, the warm, caring, giving type. 
but I also have a wing three. So I am, while warm and caring, I'm also success oriented and wired for productivity. I'm less image conscious. Uh, The healthier I get, the more I fall into the four. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, um, which is where my, my image ideals come in. But uh, yeah. Um, So like, I don't have as much of the image consciousness of the three, but definitely that success oriented wired for productivity, you know, get it, get things done, get in, work hard, get things done is part of who I am. But that is secondary to me being that warm, caring person. And when those conflict, it can be really interesting. Um, My sister, my youngest sister, is a nine wing eight. And so eights tend to have that explosive anger. You said your youngest sister, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so... I've seen that. (laughs) Yeah. She will (laughs) blow up on you. Just like get get angry, just blow up on you, let you have it, and then go hide in a corner because she feels bad about it and yeah. not want to talk to you for a while. And then after that passes, act like it never happened because she got it out. It's over with. It's done. Sometimes even completely forgetting that she exploded on you. And, you know, once you realize that about her, you're like, oh, okay. So, uh, like when we were growing up, uh, when she was in college, especially, I used to let her call me and blow up at me so that she didn't like ruin a friendship or relationship or something. I was just like, she'd call me and be like, I need to vent, go for it. And she would just have that eight explosion, feel better and not have the consequences of it. Because she did it with someone who understood. Yeah. So we'll talk about that and how those wings interact with with each other because like the eight and the nine are very, very different types. And how those those wings interact. When you look at the geometric image, you'll see these lines coming from each number. And what they do is they point to other numbers. These are an these other numbers are associated with traits that the person takes on when they're either under stress or when they're healthy and secure. And Will, t- Will and I talked about this in uh, in the episode, the resolutions episode, where we announce we're going to talk about the Enneagram, talk about our individual ones, like where we go under stress and when we're healthy. In each episode, we're also going to discuss how that type takes on negative characteristics as they go under stress and the positive qualities of the type when they're healthy, along with how that relates to the particular type. Yeah. For example, when Will is under stress, he takes on the negative characteristics of the type four. Whereas when I am healthy, I take on the positive characteristics of the type four. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's this interesting dichotomy there. The final thing that we're going to talk about in each episode, and this is probably like everything that we talk about is building up to this. uh, And we're actually going to have an episode at the end of all of this in November uh, dedicated just to this topic. And that is interacting with others. Yeah. So we have to have a section to talk about how each type interacts with the other types, because otherwise this isn't terribly 
useful as far as like getting through life because uh, it turns out there's other people in it. Um, really? Yeah, strange, really. You're not just walking around alone <laughs> with all this stuff that you didn't build. Um, this you know, is important for how people interact and how to interact with somebody who you know what type they are. Yeah. And most of the time, we're going to talk about how to interact in the workplace because that's probably the most, I won't say it's the place with the most serious consequences, but that is the place that we are best geared to give advice on versus, you know, interpersonal, like in your marriage or something. Yeah. And that's more of the focus of this podcast is in that, that realm. Like we do talk about personal life, but the majority of what we talk about is going to be from that work perspective. Because from that work perspective, you can get into having friends, work friends. And even, I mean, I've known people, like I was there when they met and they became really good friends to the point of being in each other's weddings. And like after they both moved on to different jobs, they're still best friends. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Like I've, I've seen that. Um, so we as developers, like some of us would like to completely be, you know, just work machines, but we're not, we're not complete without our friends and family. So we'll also discuss how to interact with friends and families, both if you are that type and if you know someone who is that type. Relationships are also important. So we'll look at how each type interacts in a relationship and how to interact with them. If you find yourself in a relationship with someone of that type. So guys, personalities are fun and interesting to study. However, people are so much more than just a type, a number, or a description. You know, these personality descriptions should be used to better understand ourselves and those around us, to understand how we react and how others react. It can be easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, she's a nine, so she'll be a pushover because she doesn't like conflict. or I'm a seven, so I don't have to take anything seriously. You know, these types are ways of categorizing ourselves to help us understand the way we respond or react to situations. They don't always reflect the inner drive uh, because while that, say, nine may desire to avoid conflict, they may also have an idea that will make development on a project much easier. Or they may be really passionate about things that they don't mention for fear of being shot down or having to argue with someone about it. The benefit of learning these types and about personalities is that we can work with and through them to get to the inner person with whom we're interacting. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, it's something that kind of goes along with all this, and that is to understand the value of having a mental model that doesn't have to be perfect. If you have a mental model that is good enough, it will work a pretty high percentage of the time. You can always be refining it, but it's very easy to get caught in a trap where you decide that, well, this mental model works 99% of the time, but the 1% of the time it doesn't work means it's not valid and I'm going to throw it out. And I, I think that's really something uh, we as developers struggle with a lot um, just because, you know, we're, we live in a essentially binary world, right? Like it's one or it's zero. It's not, eh, it's somewhere in there. Right. Um, and that's 
fine for what we do as a career for actually getting the computer to do things. But to be honest, it's kind of messy in the real world, right? Like this is why we need things like artificial intelligence. This is why we have systems that do compute and, you know, pop out fuzzy numbers and do things that are not necessarily all one way or all the other. It's because the real world is actually messy. And most of the time, you're going to get further by refining a mental model that you already have that you can work with that gets results than you are trying to find a perfect mental model. And that's really important here. It's interesting that you talk about that because I spent all afternoon working on authentication with uh, dependency injection and like at what level to place that authentication because it has to be like passed on to a third party. And so it's interesting because I started with one thing and I'm like, all right, well, this isn't working. But instead of just going, all right, throw it all out and say, all right, that didn't work, move on. I'm like, hey, these pieces work. It's just it doesn't work in this place. And I moved it around three or four times. I moved it too far and put it before the DI framework in the pipeline and that didn't work either. But like, I'm like fuzzy kind of figuring it out because it wasn't, all right, well, it works here and it doesn't work there. So I'll just throw it in here because that's not the most efficient way of doing it. Yeah. But sometimes you, you do find yourself, you know, having to kind of play that game. You know, that's something I learned writing a book, right? Like you, you write a couple of chapters, you're three or four chapters in and all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, oh crap, I should have had a section on this other thing earlier so I could introduce it, right? Well, yeah. if you stop right then and you go back and you fix that other section and then you come back, you're going to be lost. So you write the rest of the book as if you had written that section and then you go back and fix it. You just make a note. Oh yeah, that's that's like the whole dependency injection thing. Like I'm, I'm sitting here working on something and I realize, oh, I actually need this service in here. I need to call something on it. All right, well, I'm just going to go throw it in there and say, hey, I'm relying on this service and keep working and then go back and put it in right. the the dependency injector and say, hey, throw this in there. Yeah, and so it's it, be comfortable with ambiguous mental models as long as you get results out of them, I guess is what I would say. And also, you know, do the work. So, because that's, that's going to be important for this series of stuff is getting to the point where you have the mental model so that when we talk about it, you can refine it. And that's pretty much all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Complete Dev Pod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com, where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.